Oh my God, David, there it is. Our signature theme music. It can only mean another week on So What Did You Think? I'm Aaron Lee. Oh, I wasn't going to say I wasn't going to say anything uh, to save you the trouble of cutting me out the way you did last week. Oh uh, my way you, God! Way you edited. I, I just wasn't going to say anything because right week, out of the gate, whole, whole chunks, whole chunks of I don't want to air our dirty laundry in front of our guests, but whole chunks we, of brilliance just cut, gone. I mean, there's so much. Again. I'm David. Go- I'm David Goodman. It's fine. I, I, I'll I do later. the I do the editing on the podcast, and David was mad that I edited too much last week. And I thought, David, I should have. We have one listener, me, and I listened to the podcast, and I didn't hear what I said. I was All so right. upset with myself for deleting your angry voicemail because I was like, that would have been great to play, <laughs> and then our guest would have the context of this ridiculous discussion. And our guest is uh, the great Rain Wilson. Let's hear it for him, everybody. Rain Wilson. Oh, oh we're applauding. Thank yeah. you, gentlemen. Thank, thanks so much. Did, did, did you really need me here for that little lame bit about David getting cut out of wow. an episode? Oh, wow. I've known Rain five minutes, I, and he's already said I look old. That was off the air. And now yep. he says I'm doing lame bits. This is... Wow, I feel I feel honored. You should call you should call your podcast "Old Lame Bits." <laughs> Specifically, I would just like to point out. He said you look older than me, and yeah, I yeah, which is even worse. That. Wow. Yeah, I really loved hearing that. Uh, <laughs> that made me feel good. Uh, hey, yeah. Rain can joke around about the podcast being lame, but let me just say this: Rain wanted to be here. Which no yes. one who's ever been on the podcast ever has. We always have <laughs> no, to beg them. Beg, beg him, Rain asked to be here because he wanted to recommend this movie tonight so yeah. passionately. Thank you. Thank you for recommending this movie, right? And I, I did. I was like, Aaron, can I please be on your podcast? Have yeah. you or David seen my dinner with Andre? I would love to talk about my all-time favorite movie. Well, that's not true. Apocalypse Now is. But it's okay. in the top 10. It's a top ten movie for me, uh, and uh, and it's it's underappreciated and underviewed. So hopefully this will get some other unemployed uh, comedy writers <laughs> in their fifties <laughs> to finally watch my dinner with uh, Andre. Uh, now I am, I am older than Aaron. I uh, <laughs> you're stopping at fifties, but the uh, but before before well, did, was something you wanted to say, Aaron? I was going to say before we get into the movie, let's introduce Rain. Rain oh, yeah, is uh, internationally famous as Dwight Schrute on The Office, but this is a movie nerd podcast. So I would love to quickly say he's in some great movies like uh, Super, James Gunn's first feature, uh, Hesher, a Joseph Gordon Levitt movie I love that. Uh, I believe Roger Ebert compared you to Robert De Niro in that performance reign, if I remember correctly. Does that sound right? That was Hesher, uh, correct? Uh, it wasn't De Niro, but he did. Uh, was it Nicholson? Um, I think I he, thought it was De Niro. He, he Maybe compared me to, to some ridiculously great actor. <laughs> it was I don't awesome. think it was De Niro, but uh, that it was it was flabbergasting. Well, I know. I mean, he's also done some great nerd stuff, Galaxy Quest, and a lot of voiceovers in in the DC animated universe. But really, I just wanted I, I just wanted to take a second to uh, talk about Har- you playing Harry Mudd uh, in the new Star Treks because I well, they're the 
maybe the best episodes of Star Trek Discoveries when you're in. And I thought you were terrific. But uh, Oh, thanks. But, but I also wanted to ask you, do you know what happened to the actor who had played Harry Mudd originally? Roger Carmel. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I know he was kicking around Hollywood for a while. I'm not sure what ultimately happened with him. Do you have it's, some a, it's a great, it's a great horrible story. I'm just going to tell it very quickly, <laughs> please, because I think you'll be interested in this. So again, there's this character on Star Trek, Harry Mudd. Rain, you you reprise the role. What actually, what was that like for you to reprise, reprise that kind of? It was an iconic role for Star Trek fans, obviously, but I it mean, was a. It was honestly a dream come true. And I, I know actors say that sometimes and they're blowing smoke, but I grew up such a Star Trek nerd. Uh, when, the, during the reruns of the 70s, I watched them over and over again. I had books about Star Trek. I dreamed about Star Trek. I have a new book. Oh, look, I have a copy right here. Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. And I talk all about Star Trek in it. And to get to fire a phaser, sit in the captain's chair, yeah. get beamed up, you know, be on the bridge. I even got to do a for briefly a captain's log. Um, <laughs> and I think I'm the only non-captain in the history of the Star Trek universe that got to do a captain's log. Interesting. It's sort of a the, the time it has a time travel element to it. That episode's just it's, it's probably the best episode of that series, I think. Oh, but, that's, that's very you were, kind. You Do you again. have the ability to cast me in something? Uh, yeah, oh, I, I, you think so? Yeah, I don't this know. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> is it, Rain. Yeah. But all right, <laughs> let me just quickly tell you the Roger C. Carmel story because it's a great. Yes, awesome, I love it. I love it. Good story. So after he had been on, you know, he played heavies and all these shows, and then he'd been on comedies, and he was on Star Trek, and he was on a two-part episode of Batman where with the Green Hornet, and then. Uh, He's he, he's a, he's a lead in a sitcom, The Mothers in Law. Do you know? You remember the show? No. Okay. So so this was a show. Uh, it was about two uh, couples whose kids get married, and they're the in laws. So it's called The Mothers in Law. Kay Ballard and uh, Eve Arden and Roger C. Carmel played Eve, uh, Kay Ballard's husband. The show was produced by Desi Arnaz after you know, the divorce from Lucy. It's Desi Arnaz okay. actually used Lucy writers to write the show. It's a bad show, uh, but you can see it. And it's the, um, after the first season, the show was on the bubble. That's a term for you non-Hollywood people who are listening. Who am I kidding? Uh, where it's going to get canceled. Desi goes to the actors and he says, I'm, I'm going to ask you not to take your contracted pay bumps uh, so we can cut the budget and get the network to pick us up for one more season. The 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 four three of the four stars of the show, Kay Ballard, Arden, I don't remember the guy's name who played Eve Arden's husband, all said yes. Roger C. Carmel said, No, no, I'm I'm contracted for this pay bump. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. He got fired. They replaced him with the actor Richard Deacon, who played Mel on the Dick Van Dyke show, show tanked and went away. And Roger C. Carmel was blacklisted for the rest of his career. Oh. Never really worked again because of that terrible story. Uh, and wow. into his shoes. Anyway, he was blacklisted for wanting what was promised to him in his it, contract crazy. in ink. <laughs> and by Desi Arnaz, who's a fucking, at that point, billionaire. And it's like, yeah. you know because of who he married. And uh, uh, that's not fair. Desi was a genius too. But I, but, 
But uh, anyway, I thought you'd be interested in that story. Let me ask you if you know this story really quickly, where uh, the the legendary can't possibly be true story of Desi Arnaz uh, in his office getting a blowjob, and Lucy walked in, and Desi saw her and looked down at the woman and said, "What are you doing?" Have you ever heard that one? <laughs> <laughs> that's a legendary show but can't can't be true but i do enjoy it. <laughs> yeah that's right. great well should we <laughs> i guess maybe it's time to talk about the movie that's the transition <laughs> to talk about uh my one of the Rodney. most profound and deep uh conversations <laughs> ever recorded in the cinema <laughs> that's a perfect transition um as long as we're not we're- talking about danny thomas Oh, and the, and the glass coffee table. The coffee oh table. The coffee no! Table. Yeah, oh, no. rain no, 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 brought no. this up. No, rain brought this up when we were on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast together. Yeah, I'd never heard this. I knew about the glass coffee table, my, but he my, heard. Yeah. He heard what? He heard a whole different one. Go ahead, rain. I, I I don't even remember what I what I heard. It was so long ago, but something about how. He he slept with his mother because they were so poor. He slept in the same bed till he was like eighteen. But later on in life, he would make soup out of women's panties. <laughs> That's that was the one. Yes. Yeah. I never I never heard this. <laughs> I never heard that one either. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard the glass coffee table make one. Room for Danny. I heard the glass coffee table one in nineteen eighty eight. I started on Golden Girls, which his, which was produced by his son, and that was a story that the writers would tell about <laughs> the father of our boss. It was, well, wait uh, a minute. If you were on Golden Girls, is it true yeah. about B. Arthur pooping I was just about to ask. Ruth Buzzy's toilet or whatever it <laughs> no, was? No, Betty White. Betty White. That, yeah. that, I'd heard that. I, I heard that story when I was there, but I don't know if it's true. That's what I'm saying is that we all heard that story, but we don't, none of us know. You were a writer in 88 on Golden Girls. Are you like 79? I, I, I am. You're like 79 that looks 60. That's well, what a lovely compliment, but I'm 61. He's actually 60 that looks 79. It's, it's actually the opposite. The complete opposite of what, what you just said. But yeah, no, I'm, I was, I was youthful then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, you were the, the the boy wonder. Hey, go get a pl- go get a plunger, boy wonder. I was twenty five. I had no business being there. Well, I'll tell you what. Why, why don't we set it up a little bit? We're talking about uh, a film from nineteen eighty one. It stars uh, Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory. It's directed by the uh, acclaimed French director Louis Malle. Okay, our next film is one of my favorites for the year. It's My Dinner with Andre, and it's a film as simple as a movie can be, consisting almost entirely of an hour and a half long dinner conversation between a writer and a stage director in a New York restaurant. Just conversation. But what conversation? It's now seven o'clock, and I would have liked nothing better than to go home and have my girlfriend, Debbie, cook me a nice, delicious dinner. But for the last several years, our financial circumstances have forced Debbie to work three nights a week as a waitress. After all, somebody had to bring in a little money. So I was on my own. But the worst thing of all was that I'd been trapped by an odd series of circumstances into agreeing to have dinner with a man I'd been avoiding literally for years. His name was Andre Gregory. At one time, he'd been a very close friend of mine, as well as my most valued colleague in the theater. 
In fact, he was the man who had first discovered me and put one of my plays on the professional stage. And it was recommended by uh, Rain Wilson. Neither David or I has seen it. So, Rain, you can ask us uh, the question, uh, David Aaron. So, what did you think? And then, and then, and David, I will cut to Rain asking it as if he's familiar with our format, just okay. so you don't get upset. I'm I don't, I, I, I don't get upset about that. Oh, okay. Aaron, David, I know you hadn't seen my dinner with Andre. So, what did you think? Okay, I'm going to okay. go first. I'll go, go first. Beautiful movie. Broke my heart. I mean that in the best way. Like, cracked it open. Deeply human experience. David and I were talking before we, we got on with you, Rain, or, or a couple days ago about how both of us had tried to watch the movie at other times in life and hadn't even made it through it. I tried to watch it as a video store clerk, a 19-year-old video store clerk in Lexington, Kentucky, and somehow didn't find it grabby enough, which is not surprising. And to sit and watch this film this week uh, with you coming on here, I found really powerful and really beautiful. It's a movie about friendship. You and I have been friends for almost two decades. Uh, yes. It's about how people uh, connect and check in with each other and disagree and David and I have not been friends for as long, but he's someone who I love very much too. And we had this big creative disagreement this week and had to really talk honestly about it and connect about it. And to watch this movie that is just this uh, really beautiful examination of two friends going through that. It made me made me really grateful you had recommended it. And uh, and I can't wait to talk about some of the deeper themes around it. And uh, and it can't help but feel like it's a, a great parallel for all of us sitting around here nerding out about this about this movie. OK, so at first I thought I hated it. And this is a, I had a really interesting experience of this movie, which I don't think was the intent, although part of it was is that I realized that Andre's character, and we can get into the details of this later, was kind of a trigger for me. I felt trapped at dinner with him, and I felt that all I wanted was... What, what, the movie is giving a little bit away. At the beginning of the movie, it starts with uh, uh, Wallace Shawn going to this dinner, talking in voiceover, talking about how he feels about going to meet Andre, and he says a bunch of things that I identified with. And so when he gets to this dinner for the first half of the movie, while Sean does very little talking and I felt trapped with Andre Gregory's character at this dinner. And I didn't even realize that I didn't hate the movie. I hated the experience and that this movie had captured a real experience for me of like being at dinner with this guy. And again, we'll talk about what he's talking about. And I, I'll be talking about my personal reaction to it and that and so in some ways I left the film as a, it was a painful experience, but it was in the best way, a painful experience of it, it captured reality in this, in this really uh, just incredible way. I, it felt like reality and that, that movies just don't do that. And that uh, there's a million other things I'd want to say about this film, but that was my main takeaway was I felt like I was at dinner with these guys and had the ups and downs of this meal and, and left on and up in terms of where the movie ended up. I, I didn't feel like I was in pain anymore, but it was 
that that was an amazing experience and to realize it halfway through of like oh oh this is brilliant i'm having an experience watching this movie that i never had rain how did you first encounter this movie what's your history with it how how long do you have how much how long do i have <laughs> we got all night my friend we got all we, night. Only have, we only have enough tape for about 15 minutes and then it's, no. so um <laughs> you're taping this on a panasonic cassette recorder <laughs> yeah, right. uh right. so i remember being a kid uh and this movie came out i was 14 15 when it came out and I remember hearing my dad always used to used to listen to classical music radio, so they would always advertise it on there. And I remember seeing it at a in downtown Seattle at this at this artsy theater, and I had always heard about it. And um, I I don't know why, but um, when I turned about, I think I turned nineteen. All of a sudden, I had a deep and profound interest in really obscure artsy cinema. I saw everything. I mean, everything by Fellini, by Kurosawa, by Bergman. And I used to love- Were you going, going to, to a repertory theater or was this like on VHS yeah. or how were you seeing this stuff? First a repertory theater. And then later when VHS became a little more accessible, late 80s, early 90s, then it was uh, frequently rentals at that point. Mm -hmm. I would always go to the foreign film sections and it was always there uh, categorized under foreign films. And I watched it with my good friend, John Valadez, and he wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to be in the theater and I'll never forget the first time I saw it. I was actually at my mother's house North of Boston and I watched it with John. Uh, that was on VHS. It, it profoundly literally changed my life. And I, I really, cannot underline that more because for the element that you guys didn't bring out is that it's all about the theater. It's mm -hmm. all about the theater. Andre Gregory is a theater director. Wallace Shawn is a playwright. We know him more as an actor, but he's a very successful, interesting uh, avant-garde playwright. And the whole first half of the movie is Andre Gregory uh, talking about traveling the world, looking for kind of meaningful theater and theatrical experiences. And uh, that connection between the, the spiritual and the artistic, the sublime uh, theater and nature. He talks about this long story about working with Jerzy Grotowski in the, in the theater in the, in the, in the woods in Poland. And, this is right when that longing for me to do theater and be an actor was starting to burn in my chest. The pilot light was on and this movie just really fanned that flame. I had no idea that this world existed, a world in which forget the world of the restaurant and them having dinner and even two friends having a conversation, the world that Andre was describing of being buried alive in a ceremony and going to a place in Scotland where they talk to the trees and the roof is held on with psychic rocks and, you know, doing theater in, in Poland and living in Tibet for a month with the family and, and, and connecting it all to the making of art. Yes, he was on a personal search, but it was about the making of art. And I found it just transformative and, it was it was one of those few movies that really kind of rocked my world and set me on my course. That's part one, and I'd seen it several times 
in the 80s and early 90s. And then cut to the mid 90s, I have an opportunity to do a workshop with Andre Gregory. And I'm doing a theater wow. workshop for a month with Andre Gregory in a loft in, in the industrial district, in, uh, in the garment district of Manhattan. And we're doing the Jersey Grotowski exercise. He, he describes the beehive yep. where you just see what happens. Right. We were doing beehives. Um, I had another experience where I worked with a theater teacher from Poland named Rena Moretzka that uh, was Jerzy Grotowski's right-hand person. And we did a beehive for a week. Um, we'd come in every day, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And we would just see what happened. And we had bowls of water and bells and oranges and some musical instruments, some drums. And you just, it was a completely different way of experiencing theater and, and being an actor. So the Andre Gregory uh, workshop was, really powerful and transformative. He was really a hero of mine. And I'll finish my my long-winded, somewhat my dinner with Andre-esque monologue by saying that in my book, uh, Soul Boom, oh, look, I happen to have a copy right here. God, um, you are pushing that hard. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Uh, I tell a story about Andre, uh, again, that was uh, seminal in uh, how I choose to live my life. And that was, he met with all the actors in the workshop and we were thinking about getting a play together and blah, blah, blah. And I met with him in his apartment and we had tea and we chatted and his wife had passed away recently. And I, I remember being really awkward. I didn't know how to talk about his wife being dead. And um, I think I said, how old was she? That was all I could think of to say. And he said, so how are you? And I said, you know, Andre, I'm feeling jaded. I'm feeling cynical. I'm just, I don't know. I'm kind of down these days. Everything in the world feels like such a load of crap. You know, I don't really know what to do and blah, blah, blah. And this was the 90s, by the way. Things were pretty damn good in the 90s comparatively. <laughs> um, and he grabbed my arm and looked me in the eye and he said, don't. Don't do it. You can't be pessimistic. You can't be cynical. Mm -hmm. If you're pessimistic, they win. If you're cynical, mm -hmm. they win. Mm -hmm. They want you to be cynical. Don't you see? Because if you're cynical and pessimistic, you'll just sit on your couch and you won't do anything. You have to be optimistic. You have to keep hope alive. You have to fight for, for hope and to, to do the next right thing. And you cannot give in to pessimism. And then he was like, now get out of here. <laughs> and he's literally like... Now, pushed me out the door and I stumbled out into the sunlight on the cobblestone streets, just my jaw open. And I was like, <laughs> he's right. You know, if That's we great. give into pessimism and cynicism, nothing gets done and nothing changes. The forces, whatever those forces are, forces of materialism, of, of the status quo, of, you know, regression, uh, of anger, of, of hate, of, uh, uh, disunity. They want us to stay cynical and pessimistic and they're winning that battle by the way, but it really affected my life. And I'm, I'll never forget that, that discussion as well. So there are a number of emotional connections I have to this movie that are really profound in terms of my life's journey. How, how old were you when that happened? I was about uh, 30. It's funny because you, it kind of sounds like you had a mini experience of the movie. 
that's kind of the arc yeah. of what he goes through with Wally right. in the movie, really. Um, yeah, and at but, the end, in the at the end of the movie, he says, you know, science made us this promise. Science was going to be this magic. It was going to liberate us. Science was going to, you know, the enlightenment was going to make everything better and heal everything and bring us, you know, meaning and peace. And 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 it didn't, you know, and because that they the the I would say the central disagreement of the movie is Wallace Shawn being much more pragmatic and grounded and he just likes to have a nice cup of coffee and write some plays and be with his girlfriend and see the theater and have an electric blanket and and Andre is always searching quest questing pushing you know you know un, at ill at ease and searching for deeper meaning and answers and um my question to you guys is are you more uh Wally, or are you more uh, Andre? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I read something on online about Wallace Shawn saying that that in doing that character, that was like an effort to exercise uh, because he saw the character he was playing in the movie, and that that is kind of a thing both of the actors have said about the movie is that it's not us; they are versions of us, they are fictional versions of us, and that what. Wallace Shawn said about his character was every he was he was that character was always was motivated by fear, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was my experience of of again the Wallace Shawn characters that getting to that point in the movie where he finally talks because I knew that when he talked I was going to enjoy the movie more like I I knew that uh, just because I mm-hmm. felt like I identified with him but then once he started talking. I had problems with some of the things he was saying. Like I thought, mm. I thought his world was a little too small, and I mm. thought he was mm-hmm. rationalizing his fear of going out in the world. And that's where I really, it was when Wallace Shawn started to talk that I could then appreciate the things Andre Gregory was saying. And that again is my personal experience of the movie. I I'm not an expansive person. I'm never going to go dance naked in the woods. Uh, or try that kind of freeing theater experience. But I do believe in that kind of work. And that I thought that Wallace Shawn's character was a little too closed. He was too closed to experience. And I thought that was that was an interesting thing, too, that I'm neither one of them. Uh, I thought I fully identified with the Wallace Shawn character because of his anxiety about going to this dinner and seeing him and then uh, but, but that, 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 uh, I thought finding that little quote online, wherever I found it, it could have been Wikipedia that Wallace Shawn said that character is motivated too much motivated by fear. I thought that crystallized it in my mind, like what my problem with Wallace Shawn's character was. Well, and it's funny because rain, you and I being very close friends and you being someone that I talk to a lot and we check in with each other about life and how things are going. I Mm. could not help, but think watching it. I was like, Oh, see, it's funny. You say that because I cannot help watching it with you having recommended it going, Oh, I think I'm the Wally and rains the Andre. (laughs) And then there were other times where I was like, Oh wait, no, I think rains the Wally and I'm the Andre. I, mm-hmm. Rain's the one who will reach out sometimes and text me just, oh, did you see this thing in the news today about this? And I'll text him back 
55 texts of philosophizing about it where I'm like, oh no, that's me being Andre. So, so I definitely thought of that. And then there's a third figure here who I think is important and interesting to talk about, which is Louis Maul. And, and he's in this interesting way. He's the third person at the table. And I think uh, a reason this movie is so great. And just to, just to set the table a little, no pun intended, because we haven't said like what the movie is for anybody who doesn't know. You've got Andre Gregory, who's this New York theater stalwart. Like you said, you've got Wallace Shawn, who was also came out of New York theater, but had started doing, had started acting in movies. At this point, he had done Woody Allen's Manhattan. He, he, he quite a, he, for a young actor at the time, quite a run here. Before this, it was Manhattan, Simon, which is a fascinating uh, Alan Arkin yep. movie. All That Jazz, Atlantic City, Louis Maul's previous movie with Burt Lancaster and Susan Sarandon, and then a movie I've never seen and I've always wanted to, Cheaper to Keep Her, starring Mac Davis, which was a bad comedy that I always remember infuriated Gene Siskel. And he <laughs> said, and I remember he summarized the movie as saying, the theme of this movie is, if you can't have sex with a woman, get her drunk. Real nice. <laughs> so that, so I've never been able to find a copy of this film, but that this is what Wally Sean's coming out of. And Andre Gregory apparently wanted to do a biographical work. He had been through a really tough time. And he said, I want to capture, I've come out the other side of these very tough personal experiences. I want to do a very confessional kind of autobiographical work about it. He and Sean talked about doing it as a play, but Sean had been doing movies and he said, hey, let's try this as a movie. He he was very self-conscious of the fact, apparently, that it was like kind of a gimmick, like uh, it'll just be the movie about two guys just sitting, having dinner. He was and, it, and it's really interesting uh, uh, seeing how these interviews with Sean, he's so self-deprecating and and was like, oh, that the movie's a carnival trick. It's just a carnival trick. They sat, recorded their conversations for hours, and then whittled it down to a three-hour film, like a screenplay that would have been a three-hour film. The script got passed to Louis Maul, who read it and said, I'll produce this, I'll direct it, whatever you want. They really thought it was going to be basically like the equivalent of a home movie with a $10,000 budget. And suddenly they've got this guy who's doing pretty well in Hollywood, who's done just done a movie with Burt Lancaster, did Pretty Baby with Brooke Shields and Susan Sarandon, and he's saying, I'll direct it. And apparently Maul is the one who cut it down to an hour and 42 minutes. And Wallace Shawn really credits him. Like, And I love that you guys are really getting to the archetypes here of their two characters. Wallace Shawn, the kind of pragmatist, I just want my electric blanket, and my cup of coffee. Andre Gregory, the big, expansive spiritual seeker. And then Louis Maul, the French, the guy who all his movies were about moral relativism. And I, and I look at no matter who's sitting in front of me with total love, total humanity, even when he showed ugly subjects like pedophilia and pretty baby or, oh God, I can't remember the name of his movie, Lucien. That's about like a young boy that becomes a collaborator with the Nazis. I want to try to look at this whole, everybody sitting here with total humanity. The three of them come up with this really philosophically beautiful movie. I can't help but think 
of Andre Wally and Louie as being like a Kirk, Spock, and McCoy because you brought up Star Trek. <laughs> it's a classic heart, brain, and gut combination mm-hmm. that, that you get here in this movie. The Like I said, the movie was acclaimed. It made, uh, I think I read it made at the time like $5 million on its half a million dollar budget. So it was really kind of a hit and a little bit of a sensation. Siskel and Ebert really got behind it. And the funny thing is, um, what really struck me watching it was the reviews. And when you read about it now, it's the movie with no story. It's crazy. It's got no story. It's just two guys sitting and having dinner. It absolutely has a story. It absolutely has an arc. I think that Andre is kind of the hero of it in a way. He's been through some real shit and he's come back in a very Joseph Campbell way and he's bringing what he experienced to Wallace. I think that Wally Sean has a really incredible arc in this movie. And he, like you said, David, he sits there listening to Andre monologue beautifully and incredibly entertainingly and with great details of these crazy experiences he had with his experimental theater. And then he starts to, in the third act, basically challenge him and say, I don't think that you need to do all these crazy things to have a fulfilling life. And it, and there's a really, it gets really deep and really into the, to me, what you were talking about, Rain, the kind of social issues of Andre Gregory saying, we live in a time that puts us to sleep. And this and this experience is about being awake and being awake is painful and it kind of sucks and it kind of hurts and it might blow up your family and it might injure the people around you, but we can't go through this asleep. And I just want to quickly say, I loved reading that Andre Gregory, his family has escaped both Stalinist Russia and the Nazis. Louis Maul's childhood was totally traumatized by experiences with the Nazis and abuse growing up. A lot of the movie to me is about their trauma. And a lot of the movie is about like, these guys went through this very profound trauma and had to go through some, to some very extreme depths to kind of exercise it. And Wally Sean is saying, well, I didn't. And, and I want some comfort. Is that so bad? I love Andre Gregory's humor. He never seems judgmental of Wally in it to me. He he never says like, you're wrong. It's not a fight. He always takes in what Wally's saying and says, I get it. I totally get it. You can live your life that way, but you're going to miss out on most of it. And, and you're, and you're, and you're going to regret it. That was the way I took it. And in the end, Wally rides away in his cab, looking at the city. And, and by the way, I've read reviews of this film where they say like, Oh yeah, and he just kind of gets in a cab and he's like, oh, I've got something to think about. I didn't think so. I thought the look on Wallace Shawn's face, you're like, this is a guy who's taking in the world in a way he never has before. He really mm-hmm. has woken up. It's really beautiful. And like I said, like, and and that was that was what I, how I took the story of the movie and the experience. There is an it. emotional tenor in the last quarter of the film that is very vulnerable. And they, oh my God. they kind of, they butt heads, they kind of disagree. And, and it's so funny. I love that section when Wally's like, I, I disagree. I don't really understand what you're talking about. I, I, I really think <laughs> you're full of shit, essentially. And he gets through that and you're right. Andre doesn't 
push back at all. He just becomes like a Zen monk, but it's very vulnerable at the end. And they really are pondering how lost people are in the modern world and, um, and how best to shake themselves out of it and other people out of this kind of robotic haze that um, West modern Western civilization has, you know, brought upon us um, this kind of hallucinatory haze. And um, I, I love that at the end in the taxi. And that's oh one God. of the reasons it touched me so much. It, it, it felt, it felt like they had been through something. They both were, had their hearts profoundly moved and it was never indicated at all. There was no, it was not underlined at all. It was just very deftly done. But there's one thing that we're really missing about this movie. And it's a, it's a big, it's a big piece. And that is this movie is the first podcast. Yeah. Yes. I, I, there is no difference between this movie and a really, really good, podcast conversation. I, one of my favorite conversationalists is Ezra Klein and I'm not so such a fan of his political stuff, but he'll have, uh, writers on, um, who's that writer who did the, uh, the over the overstory, um, about the trees, um, forget his name. Um, and it's like my dinner with Andre. It is this mm -hmm. profound, conversation it ranges everywhere and it's about the modern world and the act of creation and spiritual journeys and being lost and being found and and it's it's a great podcast is my dinner with Andre it it really paved the way what do you think David no I well it's it's not as good a conversation as this one but um I uh <laughs> no. um, but no, I, I, I read that too, that it, it, it I, I read something like that too, that this, this, uh, that this conversation was like, like this podcast to me, it's interesting because I feel like my experience of the movie, I agree with everything you're saying about it, but there was also like, there was a piece of the movie that. I didn't think Andre was a good friend at the beginning, and then I saw that he was. And and again, it was because his character triggered me that I felt trapped by his stories, and there's one after the other, and they all sort of seemed a version of each other, that they were crazy sort of stories of him doing those things out in the world. But then when Wally disagree, Wally Strong's character disagrees with him, the respect he shows him, uh, really, mm -hmm. I found really touching. Like they're like, mm -hmm. and the, and the fact that in a movie, like again, in a movie that they could they could create that, and they created it because they clearly loved each other, and and created it through this conversation. While he was uh, he was nervous about, I felt like you could see that Wallstrom was nervous about disagreeing with him and saying, mm -hmm. you know, you're full of shit. You, he was playing that very well, and then there was like real respect from, from Andre. He heard him and they had a conversation about it. And that, that was also this, the, the sort of that, that emotion of friendship in the movie was, was really subtle. And, that, and, and there was a, one of the few, I laughed out loud at one thing that was, that was early on the movie, which was also, I thought 
intentionally a joke, which was, maybe you guys disagree, was he in the opening monologue, he's talking about how he didn't want to get together with him. He was nervous about getting together because he'd heard these crazy stories of him from this friend of his, George, who had seen Andre crying on a street corner after watching Ingmar Bergman's Autumn Sonata. And it quoted the line that he was crying because of the line in the movie, I, could, I can live in my art, but not in my life or something, something like that. Not quite. That might not be quite right. Anyway, later in the movie, Andre references, they start talking about George, the friend that Wallace Shawn was talking about in the voiceover. And Andre says, yes, I, I, I remember meeting him. I think I called you up too that summer, didn't I? And Wallace Shawn says, yeah, I was out of town. And in the open in the opening, he's talking about how he'd been avoiding him. And here, yeah. here he was avoiding him. And like the truth of that, and they just went right by it. But it was like it created this tapestry of like this relationship, and there was truth through it all. And that that and again, again, like the best podcast, that's like finding truth in conversation. But again, this is fiction. These guys constructed this. Well, there was a great there was a great Louis Mall quote I read where he was talking about how he did Atlantic City before this. He wanted to do a film about he wanted to do a film about, you know, being in America, gross capitalism, everything you would expect for a movie set in Atlantic City. He had no time to prepare the film. The script was half written. And he said, if you watch uh, Atlantic City, it's a documentary that's pretending to be a fiction film. And he said, my dinner with Andre is a fiction film pretending to be a documentary. Yeah. But, but what he said that I thought was so true. He said, the thing is with movies like this, I love this quote from him. He said, the thing about watching a movie like my dinner with Andre, where you get to study their faces so closely in their reactions is he said, the unspeakable sneaks out. We're faking it. We're faking it. I'm just doing a character of myself. And then there's the moment where you see Wallace Shawn's reaction and you know it's real. And I thought he looked at Andre through the entire film with such love and respect and admiration. And and I really uh, loved that. It really took me through that first hour you're talking about where he's frustrated and he's not quite jumping in as much. Because I can see how delighted Wallace Shawn is by Andre Gregory. And there's an interesting thing that they say that it did happen in real life. And it's also mentioned at the beginning of the movie, which is that Andre Gregory really kind of gave him his start. And yeah. Wallace Shawn was kind of struggling and having a hard time. And, and what's funny to me, Rain, is to hear that the movie inspired you to get into theater, hearing Andre talk about this stuff. Because really, if you think about it, what mm -hmm. he's saying in the movie is this stuff didn't work and it's yeah. not working. And, and it caused me pain. And you were and not a only that, And not, not only that, I, I thought he said something really profound, which is, do you think that doing these modern plays, and we can apply that to ourselves, television shows, films, showing people how disconnected they are and how they can't communicate and they're, everyone is distracted and materialistic. Do you really think that doing these plays in these kind of fancy theaters is really doing the world any good? Whereas the people that pretended to bury me and pretended that was a piece of theater in the woods and I had a profound moving experience and it actually kind of changed my life. 
And I have had, I fell in love with what the theater could be. And it's so interesting that I became a television actor because the office, in a way, surpassed my wildest dreams. We thought we were going to do a pale, lame version of Ricky Gervais's masterpiece, but we'd water it down for an American audience. We ended up making an even greater masterpiece. Uh, and I'm not saying this just about, you know, whatever you think about The Office. I'm just talking about the impact that it's had on modern society and comedy and how much people love the show and the depth to which they love the show. So I was a part of a television show that was transformative and affecting. And I did all this theater and did it really amount to anything? You know, I mean, I still believe that <laughs> the greatest artistic experiences I've ever witnessed or been a part of are in a theater because I think there is something primal, powerful, mysterious, and moving about being in a dark room with a bunch of strangers and people in front of you under bright lights are pretending to be other people. And they're, they're doing it in a way that they've never done it before. And you see the spittle flying and you see them, their armpits sweating and they're really being human beings and they're, they've got crumbs and they drop things. And there's when, when it's done really, really well, it's, it's absolutely sublime and theater when it's done, of course, poorly, it's, there's no worse torture on, on planet earth. But, you know, I went to the Steppenwolf Theater and I did this amazing play called The Doppelganger that was a, a political farce that was powerful and funny. And but we did it to a bunch of rich people with white hair, you know, who were paying ninety five dollars a ticket for their quote unquote right. entertainment after they had gone out to dinner to a Mediterranean place and spent, you know, you know, one hundred and fifteen dollars on their, you know, right. um, their scrawd. I don't yeah. think Scrod's a Mediterranean fish, but um, <laughs> it it didn't really. Um, does the theater really have the ability to change lives, to to move souls, to affect our way of being in the world? But I, I guess I was more drawn to that aspect of the theater that Andre was talking about. Like, um, and let me say that. I will come back on the show and we will talk about Vanya and 42nd Street, oh, which is boy. the next oh, movie okay. that these three do together. Fast forward. Andre, Wallace, Sean, and Louis Mont? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've got to see Andre, this then. Andre Gregory directs oh my the God. stage version of Uncle Vanya in a, in a theater and you see the audience and Louis Mall directed it. And Wallace Shawn plays Uncle Vanya. Oh and my God. I, I taught Chekhov for a while in my theater nerd days. And I would always show Vanya on 42nd Street because to me, it's it's the perfect way to, to do uh, Chekhov. It is, and especially on camera, it's, it's, his, it's funny, it's sad, it's hysterical, it's human. It makes you laugh, it makes you cry. It feels so contemporary you can't even fathom it and they spent three years rehearsing it they would just meet every week and they would just do it and read through it and 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 uh and by the way here's a fun fact look who i met last week 
Rain oh. is holding up his phone, and it's a wow. photo of him and the great Wally Sean. Right. Look at this. Did you and we got to were... talk about the, the Had you met him before, ever? I'd never met him before. And honestly, he was a hero of mine, of, and I was a huge fan of his theater work. And I started gushing about his early plays, about the designated mourner, Aunt Dan and Lemon, Marie and Bruce, the hotel play. And he was flabbergasted that <laughs> the guy from the office <laughs> knew these Great. obscure wow. downtown plays that he had done. And I have an idea. Can I share it with you guys? Yeah. And I know I've been talking a lot. I'll shut up because you're No, no. Keep um, going. You're the guest. I want just to edit make... it all out, Rain. It's fine. I'll just do all the. Yeah. Editing. It's fine. Like yeah. you did to David. <laughs> Jeez. Exactly. Now I've gotten Rain on my side. Go ahead. Asshole. Um, the. I want to make a film, and I'm not even kidding you, called My Dinner with Wallace. Yes. And yes. I I don't want to script it. I want to sit down with Wallace Shawn and have a series of dinners and just set up video cameras. And it's just an extended podcast interview, really. But I want to hear about his whole life and being on the movies and making my dinner with Andre and his plays and then his... Uh, his newfound, you know, he's in the princess bride, which is, you know, an absolute American classic. And he's revered mostly for that role. He's known for some others, but, um, absolutely revered by generation after generation for his role in that, uh, which he was, he was masterful. Um, (laughs) you can't imagine anyone else in that role. Um, but that's what I want to do. I want to have my dinner with Wallace. What do you guys think? I'd watch it. I, uh, what well, do you want us to help? Or you it's going to be 18 gonna... hours long. I, <laughs> I, I think it's a great idea. I, you know, it was interesting watching the movie too, thinking about Wallace Shawn, who was, who has become iconic, probably mostly, be, as you say, for his role in The Princess Bride. The movie captures him in this moment in time where he was struggling. And so you, you're getting to see this time capsule of a real person, even though it's fictionalized, even though he's saying it's not him. The fact is so much of it is so much of it. And and the truth of his life struggling as a playwright and then struggling as an actor and walking around New York in that dirty trench coat. It was all, I had the same coat that I walked around (laughs) when I was struggling and it, you know, there was just all those things that you're, you're getting to see this, this movie, time capsule of even if it's fictionalized it's it's so real of a real person who's now iconic and that that was also this thing that yeah. i was sort of stepping back from because i think you know when the movie came out who knew wallace sean but he then became someone and now you get to go back and sort of have this experience of him when he was starting i was thinking also though what you were saying about theater versus like television and i you know, I worry about television and that it's even a, it, having worked in it as long as I have, it is more of an anesthetic than a communal experience that you watch The Office, you watch Star Trek, you watch whatever that family is. And for that time, you are forgetting whatever pain or whatever difficulties you're having. You're just you're with you're with those people. So it, it's a it's I mean, I think that's a a positive thing, but it's also speaking to some of the fears that they're talking about in this movie. Mm-hmm. How do you wake people up? And, and isn't it interesting, David, that 
he talks about a guy who a doctor in Scotland or a scientist or something who gave, he's like, he's turned his back on the modern world. And he says, Wally, I no longer read the newspaper. I no longer, you know, watch television and I no longer read the magazines. And it's like, it's so naive (laughs) in 1980, 81, that all you Mm -hmm. had to do to kind of read, stop reading periodicals. Right. Um, (laughs) And now we've got these phones with, you know, news feeds and TikTok right. and and YouTube and Candy Crush and right. uh, you know doom scrolling and uh, uh, and it, the world has gotten just so much worse in the yeah. in the forty years since the movie was made. Terrible. Well, no, just the other thing about the theater experience. I just you know it, it's sad to me too. I agree completely what you're saying about that the that theater isn't something that is available to masses. I had this theater experience of, a couple of weeks ago in New York. I went to see this play, Appropriate, which uh, is a great play starring, and it was supposed to be starring Sarah Paulson, and she had COVID. So it was the understudy, but the understudy had only been in the an understudy for two days. And so she had to do the performance with the script in hand. It was such an amazing experience of this audience rooting for her mm-hmm. and also just what an amazing performance she gave, making those pages, like making you forget she's holding pages, making them sort of feel like they were props or something. And it said, I mean, it was interesting because we, we went to the, the play and my, with my, I went with my son who, and his girlfriend who are big theater people and they told me Sarah Paulson's sick. Do you want to cancel? And I sort of repeated something my son had said, which was in in a different context. It was like, we're going to get to see some kind of history. This, we may get to see a performance no one ever sees again because it's the understudy. And it, it, it so outsized our expectations because it was like this amazing thing I'd never seen before. And it was a moving, wonderful performance and play. And yet again, as you describe, a bunch of you know blue-haired people in the audience who can afford to eat out in New York City, in the theater district, and go to see this play for however much. And that—that's a sad thing to me that you know that that theater experience is getting is is not is not something that's reaching a lot of people. And yet, this movie is from forty-three years ago. And I think it's interesting when you guys keep coming back to like the white haired people in theater, can it affect anyone that critique is in this movie. It is in my dinner with Andre Wallace, Sean, really fascinating me. You kind of brought this up, David. He said that in writing this movie, he was critiquing himself. He was attacking himself. He wanted to put to an end this fearful part of himself but he was this kind of angry guy and he kind of still is if you listen to him he's a very he's got very very aggressive progressive politics he was very aware of the idea of like these are two privileged guys even Wally who's struggling is a privileged guy while the waiter over there really has to actually make <laughs> has to clean up after these dudes and it's like would you just get out of here and Wally's constantly <laughs> looking around the restaurant at like What's that black couple thinking of us? What What is that woman over there thinking of us? I Again, I just think it was a really perfect synthesis of him coming in with this kind of aggressive, we're going to do this critique, and Andre Gregory being, I'm just going to be completely open-hearted and completely laid out there, 
and Louis Maul letting it all happen. And and I have to say, I think Andre wins. I think he wins in the end. Maybe it's about theater or maybe it's just about human connection. But I do think that little battle, Wallace, when he is riding home, is saying, at the beginning, he's saying, I just wanted to go home and get my girlfriend to make dinner for me. But she's been working a lot lately because I don't make enough money. And at the end, he says, I rode home marveling at all the locations where I was with my father as a child. And I could, and I got home and I saw my girlfriend and I told her all about my dinner with Andre. And, and I felt like, yeah, Andre won. He, he got you to look at life in an open hearted way and go home and be kind to your girlfriend, not share your (laughs) resentment that she's been working too much and isn't making you dinner. (laughs) I mean, I thought that that was also just like, that's his character arc that his his exposure to this guy changes him even in the, and that's the story you're talking about. That's yeah. That's the story of the movie. And and I do think, and I do think there's a lot of political commentary in this movie. And I do think, um, like we said, I think, I think the specter of fascism kind of haunts it and rain. I think it's really pretty specific in terms of what you're saying. Like if we go through this, if we go through the world asleep like this, like we're doing, and we do go for this comfort, I really do think Andre is saying fascism is what's on the other end of it. And it's kind of a, kind of a brave new world message of like, but, but it is saying like, yeah, we can keep doing this, but that is what's coming. And arguably, (laughs) arguably we are in a time where we're seeing some of the truth to that. Let me share a quote from the movie. Andre says, we're bored. We're all bored now. But has it ever occurred to you, Wally, that the process that creates this boredom that we see in the world right now may very well be a self-perpetuating, unconscious form of brainwashing created by a world totalitarian government based on money, and that all of this is much more dangerous than one thinks? And it's not just a question of individual survival, Wally, but that someone who's bored is asleep, and somebody who is asleep will not say no? I mean, that's, that's text. (laughs) Like I was thinking like, oh, it's a subtext. And then you quote that and I'm like, oh yeah, no, he just says that. (laughs) I remember hearing that. That was, that, that was probably the thing in the movie that got me fully to love Andre Gregory. Like I'd started in this place of really not liking him. And that, that speech was like that that it's it's like oh wow this is prescient it's uh deep he he's getting to something that i i feel is is absolutely uh true i i completely agree with that statement it's not even i don't even have like what you know i mean it's absolutely true (laughs) and he's talking about being alive and I love at the end, he said, I was cut off. I didn't even know what I was feeling. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what my purpose was. Like he needed to travel the world to have these experiences to kind of, like you said, Aaron, to to wake up. But this is what people in the modern world need more than anything is they need to to wake up. And we've been numbed, you know, we've been numbed with pressing a button and buying something on Amazon and we're numbed by turning on Netflix every night and look, Oh, there's a new mini series from the BBC. I'll spend the next eight hours of my life watching that. And then, you know, we're numbed by going to job to our job and then 
taking our partner for granted and what choices can we make to to wake up and and conversely the other point i wanted to make is where really where i loved andre is like he pontificates at the beginning and he's going on and on about his weird adventures and blah 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 and then and then he ends it i don't know if you remember this and he's like and you know what it's all shit it's all mm-hmm. a bunch of shit and it's like <laughs> Essentially, he's saying, like, I'm a narcissist and I made it all about me. Here I am traipsing all over the world. It really didn't mean anything in the end. That's why he's in a breakdown right now. Like, I had all these experiences and and what did it really add up to? And the fact that he's able to kind of take himself down a notch and take the piss out of himself and recognize his own privilege and narcissism at that point in the story is really uh, revelatory and kind of propels the next part of the movie. To me in that next part of the movie, what makes the movie really deep is that it's not just saying, and it's not just saying, and everybody's got to wake up and everybody's got to wake up to prevent this from happening. And he's not just saying, and Wally, you got to stop with the electric blanket. He's saying, yeah, we got to wake up and it fucking hurts. He's saying it hurts. Right. There's pain to it. And he has that beautiful, you're, we're, we'll just go around and talk about our favorite Andre speech moments. My favorite was him saying like, oh, you go and have an affair and you suddenly you're with this person. You don't know them well. And you're finding out what classical music do they like? What, and you feel grounded. But he said, but you go be married to somebody for 20 years. And that's a fucking mystery <laughs> like you that it just gets deeper and deeper, the mystery and the adventure and the terror of that. And that's a really profound thing to acknowledge in a movie that blew my mind. And, and, and his, and I'll tell you, it absolutely moved me to tears. His final lines. I wish I had typed it up so I could quote it. But in the end, he says, we put all these labels on the people in our lives, wife, son, mother, and, and he said, and all of them are meaningless because these people change. And he says, you have a baby, the baby holds your hands. Then suddenly there's this grown man standing there lifting you up and then he's gone. And he says to Wally, where did the sun go? And, and that's his last line. And you yeah. see this hit, Sean, and me on a day where, by the way, my 17 year old daughter just got her driver's license. And said to me, I can drive by myself now. And I realized like, oh, I can now watch her get in a car and drive away. That hit me very profoundly. And mm-hmm. and that to me was the, the message of like, we get to do what we're doing now. We get to connect over these experiences. We'll never fully know what it's like for the other person. But this is how we get through the terror part. This is how we get through the scary part. Wallace didn't want to make this connection with him. He's like, this is my friend who's having some weird crisis. I don't want to deal with it. And by the end, he was like, you could see they had made a real connection and he can get through this tough time. He's having a little better. So just absolutely beautiful to me to just rant a little bit more quickly. When we're talking about the difference between this and TV, I don't think the office exists without this movie. And I'm going to give you the lineage to me. You go from my dinner with Andre Yep. To Rob Reiner and Christopher Guest being obsessed with this movie, loving it. Christopher Guest and Rob Reiner putting Wallace on The Princess Bride. 
uh, making Spinal Tap. Let's make our movie that's pretending to be a documentary. Christopher Guest specifically acknowledging it and waiting for Guffman, having Corky St. Clair play with his My Dinner with Andre toy set. Remember that? Yeah, Uh, yeah, action figures. They create the documentary. Noah Baumbach is obsessed with the film, sees it, makes all his New York intelligentsia life ultra vulnerable life movies is all over the criterion blu-ray which i would highly recommend doing great interviews with wallace sean and andre gregory and then even makes the fucking barbie movie (laughs) is characters having these kind of debates and discussions of this elevated discussion that comes from my dinner with andre i'm even going from my dinner with andre to barbie I really but am. You, but you lost the lineage when you had it. You were right there because what, Ricky what I Gervais, missed, what I missed. Ricky, Ger, Ricky Gervais was inspired by Spinal Tap to make the British office. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's, there you go. I thought that's where you were going. So like without it, you, you had the lineage and you lost, you lost I, it. I, you went I, right to it. Barbie. Like you, you said, here's the lineage. There is no office. You I'm fucking like, oh, this, idiot, Aaron. Oh, Jesus. so fucking stupid. I'm like, what? Wait, no. can, every, can you guys <laughs> no, you stop it? It was right there. Okay. And cut. Okay. All right. That was just for me later. That's just a thing. Don't worry about it. That's just thing later. Anyway. But it's so interesting to me that, no, that you said the lineage and then I'm seeing where you're going. And as soon as you said Spinal Tap, I'm like, oh, he's right. That is. Yeah. That is. No, I'm telling you, it's. Ricky Gervais was like obsessed with Spinal Tap and yeah. that inspired the British office. And so there, you're right. There, there yeah, is, no, there you, is a lineage. Is, this is a real lodestone movie for modern comedy. I really, yeah. I really do think so. What, what a great recommendation rain. Just, just beautiful. It, you know, just uh really great stuff. Wallace Shawn, not a conventionally attractive actor. God damn. His smile is luminous in this movie i'm telling you he looks at andre with such love and when he can't help but break into that smile you're like i could stare at this guy for hours like just when when i when i met him he still has that same radiance like you say something that pleases him and he just goes (laughs) and he just lights up like a cheshire cat and oh my god uh, uh, it's really adorable. And he's been with the same Debbie for oh, 40 yeah. some years. Oh, well, for and her name is Deborah Eisenberg. And she's That's a very right. famous short story writer. That's right. And they made a film. I think Soderbergh made a film of her stories just a couple of years ago with Meryl Streep. Let, let them all talk. That's it. I wrote that down from 2020. Mm, mm, um, mm. Yeah. She's and also, if you movie. like, if you want some more Andre Gregory, uh, it's not as good, but it is a fun, fun listen. He wrote a memoir called This Is Not a Memoir. came out in 2020. I listened to the audiobook driving back and forth to Phoenix. And I think I could, f- I finished the whole book driving to Phoenix and then driving from Phoenix back to LA. And so I was listening to Andre Greg. There's more crazy actual stories that he went through in his life. He was in the army. He had all kinds of just nutty, nutty stories growing up on the Upper East Side and, uh, you know, uh, affairs and and weddings and theater and um, performing his famous version of Alice in Wonderland, like in Tehran, (laughs) you know, for the Shaw and some great, (laughs) great, great stories. Uh, I highly recommend that book and especially the audio book of it. 
how bad do you want to see this Alice in Wonderland production he did that apparently yeah. changed Wallace Shawn's life that's mentioned in the movie and yeah. in every interview he talks about right. like you'd never seen anything like it and you were crying laughing and you can't capture it on videotape. I would love to have seen that. I don't know if I wonder if a videotape version exists. I've looked I and know. I haven't found one online, but it, they may have one, for instance, at Lincoln Center Theater. His, his company was called the Manhattan Project, and that was the um, most famous work that they did. And they traveled the world doing Alice in Wonderland. Um, you know, he famously did a whole lot. I mean, that by the end of the day, Andre Gregory, who's now 89 uh, and painting, he's a painter and lives on uh, Cape Cod, I believe. Uh, I mean, he, you know, he directed in his whole life. Maybe he directed 20 plays. You know, but he oh uh, is still one of the world's most famous directors. Well, David, I can't wait till next week when I've recommended some dumbass fucking no, action I movie to, to you I'm, that you're I'm angry about. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for that. I, I was angry at the beginning watching this movie. If there's any. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. Good. Okay. It's not just me. That's good. Uh, and Rain, will you say our catchphrase? Why don't you try something new? Uh, sure. Um. I Rain, really thanks charge, for coming. I charge I charge fifteen grand to say catchphrases. So <laughs> Okay, um, well you say did I do that or uh don't have a cow man? <laughs> what about the theater, Rain? What about the theater? You're charging fifteen grand. You're right, you're right, David. <laughs> Why don't you try something new? Amazing. That's fucking acting, David. That's hey, goddamn acting. Really? Because I wanted to give him a line reading. Uh, <laughs> Rain Wilson, everybody. Thanks Thank for listening. You, Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. All the other customers seem to have left hours ago. We got the bill, and Andre paid for our dinner. Debbie was home from work, and I told her everything about my dinner with Andre.